listener. Hi and welcome back to Broadsheet Sydney Around Town. I'm Emma Joyce, Broadsheet's Features Editor and I host this short guide to Sydney. Today we're looking back at 25 years of the world's largest free public outdoor sculpture exhibition. Whether it's giant spray bottles or crouching tiger monks that come to mind when you think of sculpture by the sea, it's undeniable that the Springtime Festival has made an indelible impression on Sydney's arts and culture calendar over the years. Its founding director, David Handley, joins us to recount what it was like setting up the first event in 97, how the festival has contributed to Australia's permanent public art installations over the years, and why you should make time to seek out the smaller sculptures that seem to hide in the landscape on the famous Bondi to Tamarama coastal walk. Hi, David. Hello. Tell us a little bit about how it all got started, because I know it was a one-day event originally, and the legacy that you've already developed in this quarter century of this particular free outdoor exhibition, which is now, I think, the world's largest in its format. So congratulations, first of all. Thank you. And thank you for bringing up those those great memories then. Uh, they are three of the iconic sculptures of Sculpture by the Sea. And as we were preparing for the 25th exhibition, and I'm going to age myself a bit more, it's 27 years old because we had the two years of COVID. Of course, it's 25 years worth of running yeah. Yeah. the festival. And so it's we, we were thinking about having quite a number of sort of highlights from the past, um, but then we realised we'd be excluding artists from this year's show. But one of the early favourites of a lot of people um, was uh, the Blue Society and James Dive sculpture hot with the chance of a late storm, which is the melted Mr. Whippy van. And so we're actually bringing that back. I rem- I've seen photos of this. I haven't seen it in person, but mm. there was a gorgeous photo of a little child mm. sat on this melted ice cream van. And the, the, the green sleeves music's distorted as well. And we've got the green sleeves music back this year for those of you who want to avoid it, don't go to the back corner of Tamarama Beach. Is it haunting? Uh, no, it's not haunting, but it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> I think the staff at the cafe will ask to turn it down <laughs> because we, you know, people who are under 25 never saw this or were so young they wouldn't remember it. So to answer your question, I created Sculpture by the Sea for very much that response that you've had. Uh, I created it for the everyday person in the street, those who maybe open to the idea of culture, those who may be culture vultures and those who are just curious or want to go for a walk, let's see what it's like. The idea of creating a major free to the public event was integral to this and the world is a very commercial place now, slightly less commercial back in the, the late 80s and early 90s as I was growing up, but it still was extremely commercial and free to the public events just make the city where we live better. And the local businesses, for them, it signals the start of summer. We stopped their winter trading about five weeks early. The other idea behind starting it was I love the ideas of artists as dreamers, but so many of them, unless they're better marketers than artists, uh, Jeff Coons, um, aren't able to to realise their dreams. As a producer, I thought, you know, maybe this is a role that I could play with my life or my career. And the last one was, again, growing up in the 80s and 90s, having a chip on my shoulder about Australia's place in the world. And unless we played sport against someone or another country, they only thought about us as a place with a rule, a rock and a reef. 
and I wanted to create something that projected Australia internationally in a more sophisticated and cultured light. And for those of us who are old enough to remember the lead up to the Sydney Olympics and the Sydney Olympics, the Sydney Olympics came along a couple of years later and did more to change the way the world thought about modern Australia than anything a million zillion times more than Sculpture by the Sea or every one of those great restaurants that we now have on the coast. Um, but it's very much been a part of this evolution of the modern coastal Australian culture that's just sort of happened. You weren't always an artistic director, though, right? I think you worked as a lawyer at some point. Oh, yeah, for a couple of years. Um, but, I mean, at risk of being defensive on that one, if you look at, say, equivalent to my job, it's being a film producer. Just the art form is different. And a lot of accountants or lawyers become creative producers. And they've also got some of the other skill sets that are required to be a producer. Now, you can be a, a financial producer. You're not going to be one of those if you're putting on a free to the public event. Or you can be a, a creative producer. And I'd like to think that I'm in that camp. What do you remember most about that very first version of Sculpture by the Sea? Oh, so much of it's vivid, but probably the most relevant to, to now is sitting there at four o'clock. We'd installed, exhibited, and we're about to deinstall 64 sculptures in one day. And I just thought, and everyone was saying, wow, what's happened here? You know, $400 marketing budget, 25,000 people turned up. And I thought, how are we going to do this again? Everyone's been a volunteer. I mean, everyone was a volunteer, mm. and including myself. And oh, the illogical logic of putting on major events is it's got to be bigger than next year, which means we've got to go overnight, which means we've got to be able to afford our security. Luckily, Andrea Stretton commissioned me to do five Sculpture by the Sea exhibitions around Australia the next year for the Olympic Arts Festival. And so we went from an $11,000 budget for one show to a $360,000 budget for five shows, which was still ridiculously small, but just in those figures you can see the the difference. And to have the imprimatur of the Olympic movement and the cultural Olympiad that goes with all of the modern Olympics was a huge thing. Yeah. You also, in that 25-year span, have gone from having so 25,000 visitors to half a million every time you put on this particular exhibition. It's a huge number of people to bring to a kind of two-kilometre stretch of Bondi to Tamarama. How has it transformed in that 25 years when you have to put on an event like this? People use their common sense, think with their feet and their heads, and locals don't go on weekends. You know, locals go after work midweek. People who are retired almost invariably choose to go midweek. The school children, they're all coming midweek as they always, uh, I suppose, did. But that's been one of the big evolutions that in just the third year. So we'd had a one-day show in 97, a four-day show in 98, and then all these school teachers turned up with school students. Like, wow, well, we better respond to this. So there's, there's been a lot of changes, and probably the one that it, it, most people don't know about but's very quiet and very special is the Access and Inclusion Program, which we started in 2009. I tried to start it in about 99 or 2000, but when I rang organisations like the Blind Society or whoever, they were like, sculpture, what? <laughs> you know, it was a bit too early. Mm -hmm. But when we went out to people in 2009, there was a, a great response. So what does that involve right now? Yeah. What is available? Yeah, it's um, free bespoke tours tailored to the individual needs of 
individual people with disability and their ability to have carers with them or not needing carers. So it could be tactile tools, so feeling your way around the sculptures with audio describers, um, you know, people telling you about the sculptures as you're moving around. It's very, I won't say it's one-on-one, but it's very, very small groups. Um, so, yes, if anyone wants to get in touch with us, please, please do so at Sculpture by the Sea. Often they are really tactile sculptures. They are ones that you can see children climbing over sometimes or you can <clears throat> interact with a little bit. I feel like in the majority of cases, people are very respectful, but there are certain areas where you just can't you can't control very young children from having, for having a go or wanting to get involved. Are there any that you can remember that you just think, that was a particularly funny sculpture or one that you, you just couldn't drag people away from? Well, oh, there's so much to talk about in that. Little children, let's say under the age of seven or eight, well, under the age of seven, if, if they're standing next to an adult, we're huge. Now, if you have a large sculpture that's huge to an adult, it's just ginormous to a small child. So pretty much everything in Sculpture by the Sea is in that fantasy realm of being huge. And because they're you know, knee-high to a grasshopper, they see spaces in sculptures. And so we have to think as a child when we're considering the safety of sculptures. And in the early years, because we were thinking in terms of 18 to 80s, we didn't consider children. And before we knew it, children were climbing over sculptures that required another $5,000 paint job and things like <laughs> that. So, um, and then we've been teased a little bit for having too many please do not climbs. And that was a little bit, yeah, unsophisticated of us. So we've now gone into explaining that, you know, Corten Steel does not like ice cream hands or sunscreen <laughs> and marble does not like that. And we, we occasionally try to have a bit of humour with it as well. Um, I can think yeah. of the giant spray bottles yeah. That were based on the beach and, and squirted yeah. water as well. So they are so playful sometimes and that you, were, you can't you were, help it. You were meant to squirt it, you know, and that was that was a lot of fun. And then, you know, how do you say to a, a four-year-old, you can do what you want with that sculpture, but you can't do what you want with this one? Have there been any sculptures throughout the years that you can't get out of your mind because you just think that was so clever? That was such a smart idea or a way to respond to the landscape? So many. Every exhibition... Probably my favourite is Marcus Tatton's Ruin. Um, that was a, a ruined house that you would, the type of which you would see as you were driving on the in this semi-arid interior of Australia, where early settlers had tried to establish farms, and all that's left is a bit of a wall and maybe a chimney, and and he made it of firewood. And the idea being that we were taking the firewood to keep ourselves warm, but in the process we were tearing down our house and. Just the red timber stacked in these walls and the chimney on the beach looks stunning, but the concept behind it I thought was brilliant. But over the years I've come to really love abstract metal sculpture. I love the pop ones that you referred to as well. It's a, it's a lucky place to be seeing all of these works and seeing them evolve. I like to go at sunrise. Mm -hmm. That was my that was my preferred time. Usually you think you're going to beat the crowds, but really you don't. You're just with a different type of crowd, one that's very into photography usually. Um, and I, I think that some of those more abstract works that you mention really light up at that point because you've got the gorgeous way that the light is playing with the 
the beach and the ocean and then usually through work, some of them made of glass, some of them metal and just beautiful. I can think of some flags as well, mm-hmm. kind of moving in the wind. There's a lot about Sculpture by the Sea that I think has uh, it has that pop element, which you usually see on the front of newspapers. Are there any that you can think of that are the antithesis of that pop variety I've just mentioned, where it's small or you've had to kind of seek them out? Maybe it's within the headland or the kind of cliff face and have just made you smile or made you wonder. I love the works that get nestled amongst the rocks, the more ephemeral ones, such as that one that I just mentioned. The challenge that we've got, having evolved fairly quickly to a three-week exhibition or just a day or two under three weeks, is the longevity. And you know, you only need a southerly to come through or any sort of <laughs> storm. Um, we've had challenges with putting sculptures in the ocean. Haven't had an attempt at putting a sculpture in the ocean for, for a while. Um, some have been successful. Some have been successful for a short period of time. I, I remember, or at least I've seen images of the kind of woman submerged as though she's bathing yeah. in Bondi, yeah. which must have been a huge feat. Yeah, Bobbing Bod by Nigel Washington, I think was his name, back in about 2003 or something like that. And, yes, she had a head, two breasts, a knee, and I think two feet, and each of those elements of her body were anchored. But unfortunately, when we put her in, it was a day when Bondi was Lake Bondi. So all these people who could swim that far swam out to her, and when they got to her, they rested, and they rested their feet on the substructure, and they damaged the substructure very quickly. So the poor bobbing bod had a few... um, parts move around. But we've learned how to to deal with the the sea. It's just it's a very expensive exercise and hopefully we'll take on that challenge again in the future. But it requires an artist to be prepared to do that. It must be very stressful as part of the organising team to have people respond to the works in the way that they do in such a human way. But I think that's what makes me love this particular exhibition. It is something that we just, we treat differently than, say, a hanging exhibition within one of our institutions where there is that reverence. I think there's reverence still at Sculpture by the Sea, but it's playful. It's in the beach. It's at our leisure. It's it's within the location where we think of as being kind of our leisure place. Mm. Sculpture by the Sea marks 25 years this year. Are you doing anything differently? Will people be able to expect something different this time around? Not overly. We're not having a national showcase this year. This year we're wanting it to be the the reflection back on the 25 years. But what we have been able to do during the COVID downtime is we have always wanted to do something major in the bush. And we reached out to the people of the Snowy Valleys shortly after the Black Summer fires and said, would they be interested in having a major public sculpture collection down there? And through a lot of speaking well, through speaking to a lot of people, considering what might work and what we could pull together both conceptually and creatively in the time, we applied for a bushfire local economic recovery grant, got the maximum amount of $4 million, so a sizable amount of money, and we currently have 35 sculptures in eight locations, including three vineyards with cellar doors between Adelong and Tuma. so basically stretching just south of Tumut down to the Victorian border along the Snowy Valleys Way. And it's a stunning part of Australia. 
And that feels like that's the tangible celebration of, of Sculpture by the Sea. We couldn't have done the Snowy Valley Sculpture Trail without having those years of experience and relationships with artists, relationships with engineers and installation crew. And it's been very special and quite frankly a humbling privilege to work on that. And we, in April next year, we're launching another three sites with the, the Sculpture Forest in the Bago State Forest. So we got a further grant um, and that's been very special. It must feel like a legacy because these are now permanently marked as part of those locations. And also those works have been created not just for that just short of three-week period of time by the beach, but now they have a place to live more permanently. I know that's also something that happens to the winning sculpture as part of Sculpture by the Sea. Can you think of a couple of examples where we've got a sculpture that people might have seen during Sculpture by the Sea that's now permanently in Sydney? Mm, yeah. So along Mrs Macquarie's chair, or Mrs. at Mrs Macquarie's chair, uh, the end of uh, the domain there, Botanic Gardens in Sydney, there's beautiful stone sculpture by May Barry, who exhibited that when she was over 90 in Sculpture by the Sea. Um, and there's a few more through there as well. I think there's four in the Botanic Gardens. There's five or six over at Headland Park at George's Heights at Mossman, uh, which are a, it's a lovely place where if you've not been there, it's the old um, military establishment uh, just looking straight out through the heads and uh, stunning bit of public land. Um, and there's quite a number down at Campbelltown City Art Gallery as well. The Aqualand Sculpture Awards value has been increased from 70000 to 100000 which is great for this year only, I believe. And the winning sculpture will become part of a permanent public artwork somewhere in Sydney. That's so fascinating that we get to do that and we have places where we can have permanent sculptures. Is that something that you see happening for the rest of the time that you think that Sculpture by the Sea will run, or for, for its future, I should say? Yes, very much so. Um, we actually introduced it way back in the second year of the exhibition, and we loved the idea that there would be a permanent sculpture gifted from every exhibition. It's fantastic that Aqualand have joined the celebrations this year and increased the award to $100,000. makes it the second most generous sculpture award in the world. Yes, watch this space as to where it's to go. There is a I mentioned common sense before. There is something which I, a lot of people think is a bit silly that happens with public art in Australia in that it's meant to be made just for the area. So certain councils will just simply rule out sculpture on that basis. I mean, on that basis, Michelangelo's David would never be seen, never have been made. So it's it's something that's crept into the art world in, in Australia, which is very limiting and quite myopic. What makes a winning sculpture? Well, we have a different awards panel each year and we have either three or four people on that and it's very much up to them, but they have a great background um, in sculpture. We have Olga Saronis, a leading conceptual artist coming over from, from Perth, um, Neen Swartz, uh, who's now living down in Tasmania, but she was a senior lecturer at Edith Cowan University in Perth, Terence Maloon, very senior curator, just recently retired from the drill hall at ANU and the head, the chief curator of the Hakone Open Air Museum in Japan, Takuro Kurokuchi, is coming out. So it's, it's quite a different group and we'll see what happens. There are artists and sculptors who've exhibited from the first Sculpture by the Sea in 1997 who are 
going to have some of their works again this year. I know you've already mentioned a couple of them, but are there any that you're just so excited to see return? Oh, I think any of those artists who are in the first exhibition who have had a substantial part of their career in Sculpture by the Sea, they feel quite special and deservedly so, and there's a very special relationship there. Had senior sculptors not got involved with this naive, idealistic idea back in 97, the Sculpture by the Sea would only have happened once. But we had about a dozen of Australia's top artists be prepared to go to all those efforts, admittedly with sculptures they already had, um, to be in that exhibition. And we, what we do now, when, when an artist has been in 20 times, we publish a book on their 20 works and only four as of this year have been in 20 times, which will give you an idea of just how many artists have been in the show. And I think the figures are 2,600 sculptures made by 1,200 artists from 51 countries around the world. Um, and so it, it's very special when they come back. Um, a long time ago now, we thought it was special to have a decade club, and we still do. And when artists join the decade club like Lucy Barker and Ayako Saito do this year, it's a very special moment for them. But the idea that we've now got a double decade club just shows yeah, how, how long we've been around. Well, I can pick your brains, David, about Sculpture by the Sea for so much longer. But I would like to wrap up by saying that people can go and see Sculpture by the Sea from October 20th to November the 6th. And you should definitely check it out because it's the 25th year. And I hope that it continues on for another 25. So do we all. Thank you very much, Emma. Thank you. And that's all we have time for today. Of course, you can stay up to date with what's happening around Sydney at broadsheet.com.au and at broadsheet underscore Sid on Instagram. A listener production.